Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to the Psychology Podcast with Dr. Scott Barry Kaufman, where we give you insights into the mind, brain, behavior, and creativity. Each episode will feature a new guest who will stimulate your mind and give you a greater understanding of yourself, others, and the world we live in. Hopefully, we'll also provide a glimpse into human possibility. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the podcast. Today, I'm really excited to have Mark Manson on the show. Mark is an author, blogger, and entrepreneur. In his own words, he writes, personal development advice that doesn't suck. His latest book is The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, A Counterintuitive Approach to Living a Good Life. Great to have you on the show, Mark. Good to be here, Scott. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I actually um, was deliberating for a good five minutes whether or not to say the word fuck or not. And I decided because on iTunes, like they get put an explicit rating when you do. And I decided that we'll make this entire show completely uncensored um, in the spirit of your book. You you decided not to give a fuck. I exactly like for this for this episode. This episode. <laughs> I think if all, every single one of the psychology podcast episodes were rated E, it would take it into another category, maybe of on <laughs> it would take it out of uh, social sciences and yeah. I don't know. But um, really great to have you on the show. I really enjoyed reading your book. It uh, it resonated at a lot of levels. Cool, awesome. So I want to start with. Charles Bukowski. Yes. What does he illustrate about why it might be a good thing not to give a fuck? Well, I wanted to one one of my big goals with this book was I wanted to write kind of a self-helpish style book uh that focused very heavily on negativity. Um and there's a variety of reasons for that and we can we can kind of get into that, but I was actually I wrote all of chapter 1 which kind of the point of the chapter one is is to just introduce some of the concepts, the idea of not giving a fuck or giving fucks or whatever, and um, <laughs> and kind of introducing the reader to the style and and the overall theme of the book. 
but I needed to fill in, you know, you have to have that opening story that every, uh, like nonfiction book is required by law to have. And, um, I couldn't quite figure one out. And then I kind of, I decided, I was like, you know what I want, I want to find somebody who is maybe like the absolutely worst role model (laughs) that you could possibly have. Or the best Uh, one for your book. (laughs) yeah, Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and and I'm a huge Bukowski fan. I've written about him on my site before, and um, he, he came to mind. And and I actually realized that it was perfect because on paper, Bukowski's story is it's class. It's a classic one of success. He was uh, a failed writer for over thirty years. Um, he had all sorts of personal struggles. He was broke all the time, and then suddenly in his fifties, he like broke through and became this this big success. Um, but the funny thing about him is that there's not him as a person. There's nothing admirable about him. Like he wasn't waking up at 5 a.m. and meditating and like doing affirmations. Like he was getting drunk and wasting his money both before and after his fame and success. Um, and so I really liked kind of using him to illustrate this idea that um, personal growth and success sometimes happen together, but they don't always happen together. And that it's important that people kind of realize that they're, they're different things. So how does the story illustrate that exactly? Well, cause he was still a loser. Like, okay, good, good. Okay. <laughs> even once he became famous, like he, he used to go to his, like his readings and he would, he would be so drunk. He like couldn't even stand up and he would start screaming at the audience and, he still got arrested for hiring prostitutes, even you know, even after he was making all this money. So it's like he <laughs> was actually just this a really horrible person. And um... <laughs> well, you know, that's so interesting. So, you, so you, you can be a success and be a loser at the same yeah. time. Yeah, and 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 if you read Bukowski's work, like one of the things, the thing that makes his work so amazing, yeah, is that he never flinches from that like he is he knows who he is he knows he's a fuck up and he knows that he's never gonna be this like glamorous literary figure yeah uh and and it's the fact that he is so painfully honest about that in his work like who he is and how dysfunctional he is um is actually what makes his work great and so i love that i that that theme of of um you know what and and this kind of leads into the rest of the book but it's like we shouldn't be striving to like become this great amazing person it's more we should strive to become comfortable with with our failings and our faults and and our dysfunction that's one element of it is another element of it that i that i get from the story is the importance of authenticity yeah or honesty and that's a that's like a another point probably. Um, so I, I want to quote you. It might be weird if I, I'm going to be quoting you a couple times throughout this interview to hear yourself, but I hope you could deal with it. So the key to a good life is not giving a fuck about more. It's about giving a fuck about less, giving a fuck about only what is true and immediate and important. You just made me say the word fuck three times <laughs> in one <laughs> sentence. Thank you. 
And you added a semicolon to just elongate the pain. (laughs) I am here to destroy your shows. Thanks a lot, man. (laughs) It it felt slightly uncomfortable saying that, but um, but maybe that's your point. Maybe I should learn to become more comfortable. Um, So yeah, can we? In a lot of ways, I thought that was kind of a big essence of the whole book was that sentence, right? Yeah, yeah. I I again coming back to this idea of like a negative form of self help, like so much there's so much pressure on us both in like the personal growth and self-development industry but also i think just in our culture at large to always be striving for more um and there's just this implication that more is always better so more success more happiness more stuff you know more (laughs) better relationships more relationships more friendships more money you know and i think there's there's a certain like it's good to to have you know to strive for things and and to want to accomplish things but i think um i i almost think that our culture has kind of reached a point where it's it's becoming unhealthy a little bit um where this constant striving for more 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 creates this feeling that we're never enough and then that leads to a very like emotionally unhealthy place or or it or it doesn't necessarily lead but it it supports kind of like an unhealthy relationship with oneself. And I really love the idea. I mean, in my own life, I've always found that when I kind of have these breakthroughs or or these periods where I feel like I become a better person, it's usually because I'm simplifying my life rather than trying to, you know, become like the best at everything and do everything. And, um, and so I, I really wanted to write, uh, a, I guess, like a self-help book about caring about less, like pursuing less. Yeah. And, you know, you put a really fascinating spin on it. I mean, obviously others have written about that, like the word, you know, deep work by Cal Newport is about, um, getting deep into your work and ignoring distractions and, um, you know, uh, Charles, uh, Charles Duhigg, right. Wrote, you know, faster, stronger, whatever the book title of the book's called. Yeah. Faster, uh, something, oh, something, fuck. Something. <laughs> I, I just, I just had, I, I just had him on my podcast and I can't remember his name. Um, uh, so, but he, uh, it's a good book. I should say it's a good book. Yeah. And it talks, he talks a lot about, um, and then, by the way, in the spirit of this, I'm not going to edit that, you know, I'm going to, Go I'm going to let it all out in this podcast. You're, you're not going to give a fuck. I'm going to be human. I'm going to be, hu- <laughs> I'm going to show that. I'm human, right? Be, be authentic. <laughs> Show that I'm getting Alzheimer's uh, at the age of 37. I can't remember anything. Um, okay, but um, yeah, and so so this is in the air. This idea of um, focus on what matters. But I, you know, it is a unique. When I reading your book, you know, I I got new insights, and it's kind of the framing of this as um, caring less about uh, the things that don't matter. Um, not just like caring less, but you know, like this aspect of the, of 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 the paradox of everything that is positive is negative, and then pursuing the negative generates the positive. I mean, that's like a really that is a counterintuitive idea, right? Yeah. So yeah, um, can you unpack it's, that 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 a little more? Yeah, it's um, it, it's actually an idea that comes from Alan Watts, and well, and he got the idea from from studying Buddhism. But it's, I love Alan Watts. Um, yeah. but it he called it the backwards law, which is basically the more you try to pursue positive experiences, that 
the pursuit itself will is a negative experience because what you're doing when you're chasing after happiness or you're chasing after some kind of like ideal uh, idealization, you're putting yourself in the state where you're you're not good enough already, where you're lacking something, where you're insufficient in some way, and um, counterintuitively, when you accept and embrace the negative parts of your life, the pain in your life, the struggle in your life, that acceptance or that embracing is itself a positive experience. And so um, there's something actually very liberating in acknowledging your own weaknesses or exposing your own insecurities um, because they don't, they don't control you anymore. Mm. Um, yeah, I really like that. That's a common theme throughout the whole book of um, relinquishing there, there are a lot of paradoxical ways where we relinquish that um, control and we get better outcomes um, without directly striving for it. And I really like that point a lot. I noticed another common theme throughout the whole book is the word entitlement. That seems to be a yeah. very common thread in almost every chapter. So what does – why is entitlement um, not a good thing? Well, I, I loosely define entitlement in the book and it's funny you – you noted that I had, I had a lot of trouble choosing which word to put on this concept. Um, and eventually I think my editor and I talked about it and we settled on entitlement. But the way I describe it in my book is entitlement is basically a sense or belief that you deserve special treatment mm-hmm. um, or that you deserve something that you didn't necessarily earn or, or aren't responsible for. And the classic manifestation of this is, you know, it's all the like the articles shitting on millennials uh, saying that, you know, the, oh, these kids, they demand they want to make six figure job, uh, have six figure jobs without, you know, working for it. And they want their parents to pay for their apartments and all this stuff. Um, like that's one form of entitlement. But I, in the book, I talk about entitlement more in terms of like it's kind of a figment of. A, a delusional self-perception. So mm-hmm. people who have an irrational sense of how important they are or how good they are at things. Um, and also people who have an irrational sense of how bad they are. So entitlement, I, I described like entitlement actually comes in two forms. You have two, you have one group of people who says like, um, I'm amazing and everyone else sucks. So I deserve special treatment. And then you have another form of entitlement, which is I suck and everyone else is amazing. So I deserve special treatment. And um, Hmm. the trick of like being a grounded human being is kind of like just realizing that you're actually not very special at all. And that pretty much all the pain and suffering that's going on in your life is going on in millions of other people's lives as well. And, um, but isn't that also to have a, just have a realistic sense of self that's neither inflated or deflated. That, but just is what it yeah, is. Exactly. You know, and because, um, you know, in the psychological literature, there's, uh, there's uh, two forms of narcissism that map onto the two forms you just talked about. There's vulnerable nar- or, or covert or closet narcissism, yeah. which is, um, you know, I'm really, woe is me. I'm horrible. I'm a victim. The world doesn't really realize how special I am. And then there's yeah. the grandiose form of narcissism, which is the other yeah. form you talk about. And it seems like the, the way forward is to not, yeah, just not be too inflated or too deflated. Yeah. yeah. It is to just be grounded and, and 
kind of humble about it. And it's funny you pointed that out because I, I originally wrote the book with narcissism <laughs> as the term because um, yeah. I had done some research on it. And um, I'm sure you came across the, uh, the underground narcissist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, I, I just uh, made up that phrase. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I, when it got to like, my editor was like, dude, you got to chill out on the narcissist stuff. Like, he's like, this isn't really that fun to read. And I was like, is there another word? I'm like, how about entitlement? How about entitled people? Since that's like in all the headlines these days. But, like, but, but, all right, but, but honestly, <laughs> honestly, I say this, I say this, you know, seriously, uh, I think you nailed, you nailed the core of it because I actually just, my, the last podcast I had was with Kristen Dombeck who wrote The Selfishness of Others. And I'll actually mm. be putting up that episode after yours. I'm trying to get yours out quickly because of the book. Um, but um, the listener, so the listeners listening to this right now will be like, yeah. wait, wait, where's that episode? But no, you'll get it. But basically my conversation, um, oh my God, what was I going to say just now? <laughs> oh my God. Wait, 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 what did you say about uh, Kristen Dombeck? Talk about narcissism and I had to use the word entitlement. Oh yeah, okay, okay. I chose oh, the word. Okay, so Kristen and I were trying to talk about what is selfishness? Uh, what is the essence of narcissism? Is it just grandiosity? Well, no, it's not. Um, we want yep. people to have to like have ambition. You know, having right, ambition right. is not narcissism. Um, what about other co common things that we tend to if conflate with narcissism? Well, vulnerability. Vulnerability is not necessarily narcissism. It could have, but so it does seem like the core is entitlement. Yeah. Uh, so without even saying it, you know, without directly saying the word, I think you still nailed the core of it. So. Anyway, and if you and, and, if you wanted any justification at all, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. it's it's I it's funny because like I often have to stop myself from. I mean, this book it's a, it's it's geared. The purpose of this book was very much written for like an individual person, but sure. w in the course of writing it, I often had to like stop myself, like veering off into cultural commentary, right? And and you're as you're, I'm sure you're aware, and a lot of listeners are aware. Like, there's a lot of discussion and research going on in terms it around the idea that um our culture is becoming more narcissistic oh, yeah. particularly younger generations are becoming more narcissistic and uh and i i'm absolutely fascinated by this topic and and so i try to touch on i tried to touch on it in a number of ways in the book that you know wouldn't necessarily like set off alarm bells trigger it trigger it yeah, yeah. but, but uh, i do think it, it is something that is it's a legit thing that's going on and, and i see it as is not necessarily uh you know like helicopter parenting or or whatever but it's i think there's something kind of innate in all the technology these days like having like having all this information what i think what tends to happen is the technology selects information that or or is heavily biased towards information that makes us feel good and that reaffirms our our own biases and and what we want to hear about ourselves and i think that mm. is what's leading to a culture of people who just feel like they deserve all this cuz you you turn on the tv and it's like a budweiser is telling you like you deserve to be happy this mm. weekend and and i think that stuff starts to sink in after a while Hey, let me ask you a question because I I've read uh, you know Brandon's work on all the self esteem his books on self esteem and stuff and he he says high self esteem is not being entitled to happiness but feeling as though you're worth you're worthy of happiness mm -hmm. that does seem like a good thing to me to be worthy to feel like you know what it's I'm I'm allowed yeah but maybe that's different than entitled yeah I think so yeah I think entitled is that I deserve. Yeah. Yeah. And, so um, good. Good. And and I and I think um, 
I think it's, if there's one thing I try to get across in my book, it's that like, it's okay. Yeah. Like everybody deserves to be happy sometimes, but you, you don't deserve to be happy all the time. Absolutely. You don't, don't, everybody like life is full of problems. It's full of suffering. It's full of struggle. And, uh, and nobody is above that. Hey, speak for yourself, man. (laughs) (laughs) i'm joking i'm joking Uh, (laughs) i'm happy all the time yeah (laughs) do you not see my gold encrusted water bottle here (laughs) i'm I'm joking to the readers uh to the listeners listen to me readers (laughs) um no it's a great point um so you know you got me thinking about all sorts of things in this book you talk about um how people you know don't give a fuck they just do it like they stop thinking about it at a point and do it. And, you know, it does apply to social anxiety. Like, can we, can we link this to social anxiety for a second? Cause you do talk about your totally. personal, personal struggles. And I want to be very honest here. Um, I have, I, I struggle with this too, very much. Yeah. And I actually find humor is like the best tool for me to overcome yeah. it. I don't know if you found that has been helpful in your own uh, battle with uh, social anxiety, but um, this idea of just doing it and kind of letting the feedback from whatever action you just took kind of guide you then to the next action without just planning it all ahead of time. I love this yeah. idea. I love it. Yeah. Well, it's so throughout the book, I've got a I've got a few different chapters in the book where I try to, and again, it, it, the book is very negative focused. Um, so I have a chapter based on about all about being wrong, you know, and and that's one area that people are terrified. Like there are some people that are just really terrified of being wrong, like mm. about something or people finding out that they're wrong about something. And then I have a, a chapter on failure and then I have a chapter on rejection. Um, and I have a chapter on death and it's, I chose these, these topics as chapters because like the overarching goal of the book is to get people to stop seeing these things as bad things, to stop seeing mm. being wrong as a bad thing, to stop seeing being rejected is a bad thing. Um, and sure, it feels bad, but just because it feels bad doesn't necessarily mean it is bad um, for your life. And uh, and I think where a lot of this anxiety comes from, like you said, social anxiety, it it comes with the meaning that we attach to, to social rejection. Um, and I don't know about you, but like for me personally, when I, I struggled with social anxiety in my early 20s, in my teens, and looking back, I think it's because I had this, this kind of narrative in my head that, um, if I like went to a party or something, or if I sat down in class next to somebody and tried to talk to them and they didn't want to talk to me, that necessarily meant that I was not, they didn't think I was cool enough or smart enough or which may have been true, which may have been true, which may, but who gives a fuck? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's and but I had this whole narrative in my head of like that every single social interaction was like this judgment yeah. on my character as a human being and um it wasn't until I let that go that I just realized that you know like first of all if you walk into a room at a party half the people there are just as anxious as you are and, yeah. and yeah. Second of all, it's like nobody's going to – like if you like spill mustard on your shirt or something, like nobody's going to remember it in 10 minutes, you know? And, <laughs> and it's just – it's like relinquishing these, these, these stories that we tell ourselves and this meaning that we create around this stuff. 
Yeah. And, you know, you talk about, you know, seeking, you, you saw validation through lots of uh, sexual experiences, just like the numbers as opposed to the quality, right? Yeah. Didn't you write a book about models? <laughs> <laughs> about how to get a model? No. I wrote a book called uh, Models Attract Women Through Honesty. So I started out, my career started out, I wrote dating advice. Oh, so uh, interesting. Primarily for men. Yeah. And, um, and so that was, that was kind of an extension of my own fixation on my sex life, I guess you could say. So this has been a, quite a, a journey for you then, like yeah. lead, leading up to this, like you couldn't, like this book you wrote couldn't have probably in terms of order of your life probably wouldn't have been as rich if you wrote before the models book, right? Oh, no, I, yeah. I was completely unprepared. Yeah. I wouldn't have been able to. Yeah. But in a lot of ways, like you needed that in order to yeah. make this book what it is, right? So that's really cool. Um, so yeah, if you, you said you don't know if this it was like a, this for me, and I, I feel like I, you're being so vulnerable. Like I should be honest as well. Yeah, I felt for in my especially in my twenties, like if I were if I went on dates and stuff, and I felt like the girl didn't look like she was interested, that. I became so preoccupied with that that it didn't even dawn on me to ask myself, am I happy with her? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like I, I spent the entire date thinking like something's wrong with me. Why isn't she interested? And then trying to make a relationship work just so that I'd get validated and I, that I wasn't even happy in the relationship. And so it never even like dawned on me to ask, wait a minute, aren't I allowed – again, not entitled but allowed. Aren't I right. allowed to not be happy with this person <laughs> myself? <Yeah. laughs> I don't know if you resonate with that at all. but. Oh, totally. yeah. I actually I wrote a yeah. I wrote an article years ago, probably like 2010. Yeah, um, it was called "Change Your Mind About Dating," and it was basically the entire article was like, "Next time, if you're worrying if the the person across from you likes you, yeah. maybe stop and ask yourself if you like them. But if you're oh, worried yeah. that they don't think you're attractive, stop and ask yourself if you think they're attractive. Yeah, like, it, it just went through like a laundry list of these questions. Yeah, I'm basically just like stop." worried about yourself for a while and right like, right because <laughs> look at think about the person in front of you <laughs> because the universe has a does have a funny way of working itself out in the sense that there's probably a reason there. Like if this person seems wholly uninterested in you, like there, there might be like a reason there in the sense, like it, yeah. it might not be a good fit. And that doesn't mean you're a crummy, shitty person, by the way, if it's not a good fit, <laughs> you know, it means it's not a good fit. Like just yeah. stop there, you know, like, yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Um, yeah. So you talk about happiness, which is, I mean, this is cool. Like, I don't know if you know anything about me or whatever, but I, uh, I'm in the field called positive psychology. I do research on okay. this, you know, cool. and like, so some of the field of positive psychology, talks about um various aspects of well-being which is not just happiness it's also meaning purpose yeah. uh, relationships good quality relationships like um uh, values you talk a lot about values, so lots of things you're told you're definitely interested in but happiness um ha seems to be disproportionately focused on in in popular self-help books and things you're right yeah. you're right yeah. like pulled out is like even though it's only one source of well-being uh you know yeah. but you know it, it, it does get magnified so when you wrote this chapter happiness is a problem um, I was like, first of all, I was like, yeah, go, you know, Mark Manson. Um, no, it's really cool. So you frame happiness as, um, uh, so finding a problem to solve can just not organically lead to happiness. Is that right? Without like just saying I'm buying a book on how to be happy. Yeah, it's, uh, I really wanted to find a way. And it's funny, I struggled, I struggled like putting words around this concept for a long time. 
And then uh, ultimately, I kind of landed on the the problem language. But I wanted to find a way to to kind of just demonstrate that that happiness requires some degree of struggle in your life. Like it's not like like if you just want to feel good all the time. And I know, like in positive psychology, you guys you you differentiate between like pleasure and and fulfillment. Eudaimonia, eudaimonia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and so I I wanted to make that distinction clear. And then I also wanted to kind of make make the point that like if you think about everything in your life that makes you happy, it's there's some sort of like struggle or or low level problem solving that's involved. You know, it's it's it, a sense of accomplishment requires overcoming some sort of resistance. Um, yeah. You know, a sense of of satisfaction with yourself requires some some perception that like you've overcome something or grown from something. And so I, I wanted, and I feel like most of the self-help stuff out there, it focuses on happiness in, in such a way in that people are just running away from what makes them feel bad. It's like, oh, here's a bunch of tools that if you stand in front of a mirror and say them, or if you go to a seminar and repeat after me, like you'll feel good for a while. And, um, and I just, I saw that as, is just offering kind of, I guess you'd say like the the hedonic solution, like just the pleasure based solution. And and I wanted to try to offer the I'm totally gonna mispronounce this, the eudaimonic solution. Or I think I think <laughs> I think different people honestly pronounce it different ways. I say eudaimonia, but it eudaimonia, yeah. yeah. But it's I, I wanted to like I I wanted to to show that like a lasting long term happiness or, or satisfaction with oneself is, is um, it requires these struggles in your life. It requires challenge and pain and, and because um, it comes from how you deal with it. But you also make the point that you, it also, you have to choose your struggles wisely. Yeah. You know, because a lot, there are a lot of struggles that are really so stupid. <laughs> I'm just going to say stu- <laughs> like, you know, like, like, like I, I, I've chosen to, and you, and we don't realize we can de-choose. I don't think it's a word. I just made that up. Yeah, I don't yeah. think we can, we can realize like, you know what? Like I, I keep replaying and ruminating my head over and over again. Like, what is this person? Like when I said that earlier today, like, Oh my gosh, maybe they misinterpreted it. Oh my gosh. Maybe like, I'm not like, I should have said this and that. Can, can I just decide, you know what? I'm going to de-choose to struggle with that today. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I, don't, I never know what's going to come out of my mouth. But um, but yeah. So, are you? Can you give me permission, Mark Manson, to when I kind of get in this like ruminative, like existential rut sometimes, um, or not even existential because sometimes those are actually good issues, but just like a stupid problem that I, yeah. I, I can just be like, you know what? I'm going to de-choose that one. <laughs> just don't give a fuck about yeah, it, man. Yeah, like it's, yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> it all comes back to yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, I, I joke with people. Yeah. Like I've been, so I've been doing, I've been doing a bunch of interviews about this and people, you know, the, you, it wasn't your first question, but it like a lot of like ge- the more generic interviews, like the first thing that comes out of their mouth is they're like, so why shouldn't we give a fuck about things? And, <laughs> and yeah. I, uh, what I end up telling them is like, I'm like, look, I wanted to write a book about values. Yeah. But nobody's going to go out and buy a book about values. So, but so, it's so, especially, so, yeah. especially a bunch of like struggling millennial kids. So, yeah. I, yeah. I needed to start, I needed to couch it in this, this yeah. language of like not yeah. giving fucks and being a big badass to get, to get people to start asking themselves these questions about like what is important in my life? Like, what do I value? What do I care about? Why do I care about this? Should I? 
is it worth it? It's so evident to me that that is the core of the book. Like, you know, and especially when you get, you get to the latter parts of your book, you talk about the difference in good values and shitty values. And it's, it's like, ah, this is really like what his heart is, you know, into here. Yeah. It's so, I mean, it's to me, at least it's evident. Yeah. Um, uh, so, um, you talk about that, like emotions are overrated and, uh, but, but what you really mean there is not emotions are over, like we should be psychopaths is you, you, you're, you're, I mean, your book is hilarious, right? You'd make a point there about how, like, I'm not saying you should be empty inside, uh, you know, that would mean you're a fucking psychopath. Uh, yeah. yeah. What I'm saying, what, what you're saying is that, um, the, uh, the meaning we are with the, like letting emotions control our lives is overrated pretty much. Right. right. Yeah. Right. I, I think people put generally put too much emphasis on their emotions. And I think there's a number of influences in the culture that kind of encourage people to, to overemphasize their emotions. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's not that emotions aren't important. It's just that they are one piece of our psychological puzzle that we need to like pay attention to. It's, it's, it's an important part of, um, of, I guess, use the the your term well-being but it's it's not the whole pie itself absolutely no that's that's a great point that kind of needs to be made um i i just want to pick some other sort of sentences because it's pretty cool um i don't I, I, sometimes I read like a couple of paragraphs and then I'll type uh, like one sentence summary of it. So I read about three pages and then I realized the one sentence summary of it was accept your mundane existence. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, and I love just that phrase itself. So, um, can you uh, unpack those three pages for me? But I, but for podcast, <laughs> I, I thought for podcast purposes, if I knew that if I just said that sentence, it would, it would spring a lot of what you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny. This, this idea, I, I became really intrigued with this idea, uh, about a year and a half ago. I, I actually wrote an, an article called in defense of being average. Mm. Um, and the whole article was kind of like encouraging people to not try to be so extraordinary all the time. And, um, yeah. but what, what, where this actually started, where it came from is, um, you know, like I get, I get tons of reader emails through my website and my audience, it skews younger, but it's, um, you know, it's, it's pretty broad, but I'd say the bulk of it is like people in their, in their twenties, twenties, early thirties. And I noticed I was getting tons and tons of emails from like college kids, people just out of school, people who are like 26, 27, figuring out their career. And they would, they would send me their like, People can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes. Their quote problem <laughs> in their life, yeah. and basically the only problem was they had these astronomical expectations for themselves. Um, I think they saw like way too many movies uh, or like YouTube videos of people just doing incredible shit all the time, and and they were upset. Like they would they would describe their life, and I'm like, wow, this is a really smart, successful upper middle class 25 year old who's yeah. doing great. And then they would, t- they, but they would talk about it as if their life was just this utter failure and, and that they had like everything they were and they were doing was kind of worthless. And, and it just intrigued me that the bar for, for some people was being pushed so high um, and why that was happening and, and, and why that's not, <laughs> that that's like not necessarily like a healthy thing. Um, and 
I know for for me personally, like I I used to get really excited. Like I used to love astronomy in school, mm. and one of the the reasons I loved it was just how massive the like if you spend an hour contemplating how massive the universe is you start feeling so insignificant yourself and for some reason that always felt like very liberating for me because it real I, re- I suddenly realized you know like when you start thinking about like how big the galaxy is for an hour mm-hmm. and then you think back to like the stupid thing you said to the cute girl after lunch like yeah. you're like wow that really doesn't matter like <laughs> it's like such a like a non issue in terms of universe and so well, but you know it doesn't matter to the universe <laughs> but yeah it 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 could matter it, i mean it's like all it's all you have though <laughs> yeah it's like oh well, yeah, yeah but it, it's by know, the way i lay in my bed all night thinking about this stuff too so yeah know, but it, it's like you get yeah. to choose what it means you know like it's uh, nobody's right. there's no like right definitive law saying like you're a dork because you like embarrassed yourself in front of an attractive person and 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 at least when i was younger i always found this like very calming in a weird way and um all what did you say calming call oh calming gotcha gotcha. yeah calming um and so yeah i wanted to i think it's important to just remember like how inconsequential yeah 99% of our actions are (laughs) and uh you have a very existential uh, philosophical approach to life. Yeah. Or stoic as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, I tend to as well, which I think is why I resonated so much with this book. And But it also, yeah. the, the, the humor of the book is very existential too, right? It's – Yeah. I can't explain it, but it is, it, that's just what it is. <laughs> it's, it is, right? It's, it's – um, you're aware you're of the absurd – you're of the meta-absurdities. Yeah. Of 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 existence, um, or, or or not of existence of of what of the of what we put you know the kind of things that we worry about you know yes. in our in our existence. Yeah. And that's very freeing to yeah. So you probably could have been a comedy writer as well, right? In a different career. Maybe I mean it, it's um. I mean, if, especially if you look at some of the articles on my site, like it's there's a lot of comedy in there, and and I feel like I've Honestly, I feel like some of my biggest influences are people like like George Carlin and John Stewart. Um, yeah, yeah. It's like like I I grew up loving Carlin not just because of how funny he was, but like he could take <laughs> like a really deep, insightful, kind of painful philosophical point and show it to you and just make you laugh your ass off while hearing it. You know, like he could like change your life while you're laughing. <laughs> about it and i always loved that and and stewart i felt like stewart was really good at doing that with like world events and politics and things like that um so i i draw a lot of inspiration from those guys yeah totally and uh you know the uh in the ego defense or the defense mechanism literature you know they have they label all these defenses like immature defenses like projection and displacement all this stuff and then you have neurotic defenses but one of the mature defenses is humor and in that exact way, not in a way that puts yourself down, but puts things in perspective by magnifying yep. it, 
you know, in the other direction. So yeah. you have a good coping mechanism to the, <laughs> the reality of of existence, which is that existence is in, is inevitably shitty, <laughs> shitty right? It's <laughs> shitty and insignificant. Yeah, it totally. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow. Like, I mean, well, it's like knowing Santa Claus doesn't exist or finding out for the first time. What if some of our listeners for the first time are, are finding out, you know, that, that their existence is, is really shitty and insignificant? <laughs> Um, I'm sorry. My apologies. Uh, but, uh... I guess the point is it's supposed to inspire <laughs> inspire them to um, – well, well, you would be the first one to say the point of this book is not to inspire you. But I think, I think as an outcome – because I don't want to offend your sensibilities, but I would yeah. say your book could be inspirational as an, uh, um, an, as an out, uh, unintentional outcome because it lets you kind of relax, right? Wait. I, I see it – I see my work in general as – it's yeah it's not inspiring and, and in fact like it's on it should be uncomfortable to read sometimes for people and and i get those emails a lot that people are like this this was hard to read uh, oh i'm sure i'm gonna get shut emotions. down i'm sure my podcast will get shut down after this interview because <laughs> <laughs> all the, the amount of f-bombs yeah <laughs> no but um yeah i i see this stuff as liberating i mean it, it comes back to the the kind of the original point that like um, embracing the negative aspects of your life actually frees you from them. And, Absolutely. Um, and so if you can find a way that like you can like hold somebody's hold a reader's hand or a listener's hand and like guide them into that place to do it, you know, whether it's through humor or storytelling or whatever, like, I think it's a very liberating thing. Um, like one of my, one of the most popular articles on my site is, is an article that's called love is not enough. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I get emails from people who are like, I cried from like sadness reading this, but it's also one of the most, you know, important things I've read for my relationship or my marriage or whatever. Um, cause it just, it's, it's shocking, but like they need to hear it. So well, that's, um, I'll have to read that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's funny. I did, um, another interview I did. The listeners won't understand this reference, so you can just edit it out. But like, I did another interview. I did. Um, the guy was like, "Oh, so you you are disappointment panda? Like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's your that's that that's who you are." And I'm like, "Yeah, oh, that's your superhero. Yeah. You're the, you're the superhero." Yeah, uh, and and by, for the record, I actually have this cheeky idea. I'm gonna just be the first psychology podcast episode that's 100 percent raw and uncut. So okay. I'm just going to leave Let's all, I think I'm going to leave, I think I'll do that. Um, I love it, man. But now that I've said that, I'm going to be now extra careful the next 20 minutes. Of a, <laughs> no, but now that, I, now that I'm like conscious of that, that I made that decision. But um, no, um, what, so what is the difference between a good value and a shitty value? What, what is the difference? Um, so yeah, this is where it gets nerdy and philosophical. Because um, it's so, I mean, let me just preface this by saying that anybody Anybody listening to this who wants to write a book about values, uh, don't, because it's like it's such it's such an abstract concept to describe and 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 like boil down into like uh, like example. Because everything when you reach that level of ab- abstractions, like I everything know. relates to everything. I and, know. Uh, I know. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Like especially you being in like academia, like you probably run into this all the time. But like. Uh, I my definition of good values versus bad values is uh, good values are reality based, socially constructive, and they're immediately controllable 
by you. Yeah. Bad values are superstitious, socially destructive, and not immediate or controllable. Um, and you can take that in like so many different directions. How do you come you know, up it, with that? Were you, were you just like were you just like smoking pot someday and like and you're like what are good and bad? I mean, how does what? How do you come up with that? Like, it makes a lot of sense, but how did you? Come yeah, up with that? um, it, it took a long time. Well, I mean, I knew so uh, valuing things that are immediately immediate and controllable like that. Uh, that is self help one hundred and one. So, um, any self help seminar you go to, people are like, you know, you should only care about things you can control. Or, or you can, um, you know, if, if something's out of your control, then just like, let it go. Don't let it affect you or whatever. Uh, I added the socially constructive, socially destructive, because one of the big problems I have with, um, the self-help industry in general is that it takes a bunch of miserable people and turns them into narcissistic feel good people yeah. who, uh, unknowingly or unintentionally, like maybe are a little bit socially destructive in their behaviors. Would you say a lot of the gurus who write the books have the same exact personality profile sometimes? I definitely think that there's got to be, there's a common thread there somewhere. There's definitely some sort of, <laughs> like, let me just put it this way. I think self-help gurus as a population would score extremely high on a nar- on the narcissistic personality test or whatever. Okay, I just I just no, I agree, I agree. But I just got something in my head that um, I'm going to run it by you because I don't. It's just entered my head, so I don't know. It could be okay. not true. You talk a, really. You talk about this interesting way. You say they, that the uh, the the person who likes playing the victim and the person who is deeply insecure and depends on other on helping others for their own sense of self esteem and value, they actually tend to go well together. But it's a very destructive relationship is that the relationship that we're talking here about the guru and the i just thought of that for the i just thought of that but is that does that make sense it's a codependent relationship could that could could that be true absolutely it doesn't in my opinion it doesn't just apply to to relationships you can see it in friendships you can see it in family relationships you can see it and you could see it in in self-help guru client relationships um and i used to so i used to do uh, used to be thing. used to be Consulting. a guru. Okay, I thought you were gonna say well, I used to be a guru. <laughs> I I, fl- I flirted with gurudom okay. early, early in my career, and um, I okay. quickly developed a distaste for it. Okay, uh, and I try to avoid it now, but it's weird because when you when your whole job is to write about life advice, it's a, a sticky situation. But <laughs> I used to I used I used to do some some like personal consulting with people and. Um, I noticed that I would get clients that that they basically just wanted me to save them. Like they wanted, they were yeah. willing to sit, to do or try any like crazy half-baked idea I had. And, um, and it made me, un- one, it made me uncomfortable <laughs> having that much power and responsibility. But two, I, I quickly started to realize that like that is, itself was their problem was that they were looking for peop- somebody to come save them rather than trying to work on saving themselves. And, and as soon as I realized that, I realized that I was also part of their problem. And therefore, the best thing I could do for them is to just refuse their money and not, not work with them anymore. So um, I, ended, I ended, I'd stopped doing personal consulting years ago. And that, and that was one of the big reasons why. 
Yeah, it makes a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of sense. And I, yeah, I think there's such a good linkage there. And cool. Well, thanks for letting me just play that idea out um, and and discuss it with me because I think there is something there with that relationship. Yeah, I it's do too. Unhealthy. I, I like that. Yeah, it's unhealthy. Was it Spider-Man who said that with great power comes great responsibility? It's Uncle Ben. Uncle Ben. Okay. So Uncle so I think some people attribute that to Spider-Man. But um so Uncle Ben said that. But you're saying Uncle Ben was off his rocker. He uh he, he kinda got that mixed up. <laughs> yes. He had it backwards the whole time Uncle Ben had it backwards. Senility. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so let's not let's not speak poorly of the dead. <laughs> uh, you mean the fictional dead? The fictional dead. <laughs> Uncle Ben died a very tragic death. Okay, I mean, fair we enough. Sh- we shouldn't be too harsh on it. Fair but, enough. Uh, fair enough. Uh, but yeah, it's. Uh, I actually I heard this, um, and of all places, I heard this in a marketing seminar. Somebody said uh, somebody was like, "Yeah, if you flip those around, it also it makes even more sense. With great response, with great responsibility comes great power." And I was like, "Whoa, mind blown." Uh, because that that just and I don't the guy who said it I he was talking about like I don't know buying Google ads or something but like um, as soon as he said that I was like that applies to so much psychologically in life uh, like this is huge and uh, yeah well could you explain to the the reader what that what that means about the the importance of accepting responsibility so it basically it's. I have a chapter on the, the chapter is called you are always choosing. And, um, I make the point that, and it's, it's a, it's a very classic, I guess, life advice point, which is, you know, no matter what happens to you, no matter how, how bad things get, um, no matter how victimized you are, you always, you're always able to choose both the meaning you attach to, to the event and also the, your response, um, how you react what's going on around you. And so in effect, we're always choosing in every moment, you know, it's like if, if a car hits you and you end up in the hospital, like you didn't, it's not your, it's not your fault that a car hit you, but it's still your responsibility to deal with that car hitting you. Um, and so in a sense, we are, it's, it's this radical form of responsibility that we are always responsible for every moment of our life, everything that happens in our life. Um, because we are always responsible for making the choices of how we react to everything, and um, and there's a there's a huge sense of personal empowerment that comes with that, and um, and that sense that we are we are in control of our, our own destiny, and that and that we are always have some sort of influence on the events of our lives. Are you there? I am. I am. Okay. Oh, were you were you, were you done talking? I was done talking. <laughs> the, 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 cad- the cadence of that last word didn't didn't feel like it was yeah. it was done. <laughs> I, I won't edit this out. I won't edit this That's out. Okay. Uh, you were deep. You were deep in thought about your next question. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so, can you repeat the last sentence you said? <laughs> um. Oh, crap. What was the last sentence? It was, uh, I mean, basically, and, and I think you find this in the, the, the literature as well, the psychological literature yeah. is that like people, people need to feel a sense that like they have some degree of control over their own lives. Um, yeah. and that the more they feel they're able to like affect 
yeah. what's going on in their life, the the you know the better they feel about their yeah. life. Yeah, self-efficacy. Um, that's what psychologists would call it. Albert Bandura would call it self-efficacy. Uh, but also, you know, you are, you are very existential, um, cause you know, a lot of the, uh, like Sartre, a lot of people talked about the importance of taking responsibility. So, yeah, uh, actually, actually I, I got this idea. I didn't mention him in the book, but I read some Sartre in college oh, and cool. I, I don't even remember what it was, but he talked about how like you are responsible for everything that happens in your life. Yeah. And I remember that, that was, that was one of those like 19 year old mind blow blown. <laughs> <laughs> moments for me you know like sitting, sitting in my dorm room hung over like oh my god this is amazing <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it is it is amazing it is, it it is, is amazing. Very, it's, it's totally life-changing <laughs> it's, it's, it's it is quite profound when you understand the implications of it fully yeah yeah so you talk about the importance of saying no and the and and the importance with it with that of being committed to things you do want to say yes to whether it's um a relationship partner whether it's a job etc and the kind of freedom that comes from that and that's also um a very existential point as well but um could you go elaborate a little bit more on what might be counterintuitive about the relationship between commitment and freedom so one thing i in my when i was younger i very much well uh, first of all let's get this out there i've always been a commitment phobe it's like it's yeah. been one of my most sensitive areas in my life um and i think as kind of a side effect of that my ambitions when i was younger were generally all outwardly directed and, and directed towards like an accumulation of experiences or or events or whatever um you know so it was I wanted to travel the world, but I wanted to travel like everywhere and do everything. And um, in my personal relationships, I wanted to have like tons and tons of friends and date tons and tons of women and and uh, learn a bunch of languages and study this subject and start multiple businesses and do all this stuff. And um, and so it was this constant process in my life of of jumping yeah. from one thing to another. And there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of language in our culture that that sees that as freedom. You know, the idea that you can go like you can start an online business and go live anywhere in the world and you can teach yourself anything and work your own hours and all this stuff like this is it's a very conventional notion of freedom. And um, I was a little bit obsessive with this kind of interpretation of, of like a, a freedom and, and living life that way. And. Um, but eventually. Uh, you know, you start to mature a little bit and you re and you realize like, wait a second, like if I ever want to get like really, really good at something, I need to work on it for a long time and get good at it. Or if I want to build like a really great business or a great career, um, I need to buckle down and like put a couple decades into it. And similarly, um, I met my, my fiance and I was like, I started to realize once I'd been with her for a while that it, it's there's there's this whole there's this whole level of experience that you don't achieve without like it, it's depth based basically mm, um yeah it's we everything all the freedom that I the ideas of freedom that I had bought into when I was younger were based on like a breadth 
of experience and a breadth of options. Um, whereas there are some things in life that you just you simply can't access unless you've worked on it for 10 years or less there's or a relationship that you've had for 10, 20 years. Like there's just certain parts of the human experience that you can't access without that commitment. And that realization for me was a real game changer. It was uh it was very eye-opening for me because it, it kind of went against um I guess you would say the uh the way that all the stuff that I had been telling myself for years um, due to like my insecurities. No, that makes a lot of sense. Well, thanks for being so honest about all that. Yeah, dude. Yeah. That's, that's part of it. Yeah, no, I, I, I ag- <laughs> agreed. Absolutely agreed. So let's, this has been a um, extremely long interview and, but extremely interesting. And I want to end with uh, the fitting topic of death. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hope, well, hopefully none of us will die the, the second after this podcast is over. Yeah, but... yeah wait, wait till the podcast is over <laughs> yeah. to die, please. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, or buy my book, then die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, that was narcissistic thing to say. <laughs> but um, so I mean, I'm really happy you bring up Ernest Becker's book, Ernest, Ernest, Ernest I guess Ernest Becker's book, and yeah, it's a, it's I found it a, a profound, a profound book as well, and and um, I think it's really interesting that he wrote that in the last couple years of his life, and maybe you only get that kind of work out of out of it when when you kind of your 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 mortality is so salient yeah. um but what what do you get what do you what what do you what um what does uh death acceptance buy you i guess is how i would ask that i think i mean and, and this was becker's point is that <laughs> well becker's becker's kind of his whole point was that a lot of what we think is so important or or the things that we cling to in our life desperately um which it we often cling to them because it it's it's our way of of feeling as though we can become immortal or or escape death that we can create something or create some sort of influence that will outlive our our physical selves and um and becker pointed out that a lot of this that clingage to something, to some, you know, ideology or movement or piece of work or whatever actually leads to a lot of the, the violence and strife and Mm. and suffering that happens in the world. And, um, he basically kind of ended on the note that it's the more comfortable we get with our, you know, we're never going to be completely comfortable with our own, our own death. But the more we think about it and make some space for it, I think uh, I think when I die, I'll feel pretty comfortable. You think so? When I'm actually dead. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it was a joke. Sorry, it was a okay. joke. <laughs> but um, but it, it it yeah. If we make some space for thinking about our own death, it I think it does two things. One, it it helps us uh, relinquish. Um, some of like the more like uh, like fervent beliefs or or impulses that we have um and then two it, it also it puts things in perspective uh you know i actually 
I had a friend recently who somebody close to them just died and uh, she, it inspired her to basically like in her marriage and, mm. but she talked about it. It wasn't like a negative thing. It was just like, wow, like my friend's death showed me, uh, showed me that what was actually real in my life and what was uh, in all the, like the bullshit that I'd been telling myself for years and years and years. Um, it, it has death, like has some ability to just clarify things for people. And I think, I think most people who, who've experienced, who've been close to death before have experienced that in some sense, like they, you know, again, the book is about values. And so it's death is the, the single thing that, that, uh, shines a very bright light on your values and, and whether they're, they're really worth it or not. Mm. That's pretty, uh, pretty, I mean, I think it's true. It's also, you know, it's profound, but I think people who have, uh, firsthand faced that mortality definitely will resonate a lot with what you're saying. Mm-hmm. So you, you guys this question, you say, is this it, you know, like you talk about the sunny side of death. <laughs> Which is an interesting, you know, way of framing it. You, you, you at least want to end your whole book on a on a, uh, a a positive note, you know, the sunny side of death. Is this it? You know, it, you, when you said "is this it," it reminded me. I read a blog post of yours once that had stuck in my mind. You say something like, "And then there's just the silence." Yeah. Do you remember what blog post that was? It, I think you kind of like ended the whole blog post with that. I uh, I did. It's funny. I I have a weird habit of getting extremely existential and <laughs> yeah i I love it like, I love out it. of nowhere i'll have a blog post about like yeah, yeah. and then know, there's silence <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then and then i'll have a paragraph that just kind of is like oh by the way you know that that dating that we were just talking about it means nothing because the universe is ever expansive and you're nothing <laughs> I, I yeah um, yeah i, I don't yeah. i don't remember but I, I have i have a handful of articles that sure throw stuff like that in and and it's just yeah i don't know like sometimes i just get this um i don't know how to describe it i i i i so i got really into uh zen buddhism yeah for a while and um and so i'm very i'm very influenced by that and i remember that there used to be this feeling that i would get when I would, I would go do like meditation retreats or I would listen to like Dharma talks and, and every once in a while I would, I would kind of like enter this state. It's not even, I can't even say it's a feeling cause it wasn't an emotion. It was just this, le- it was this level of awareness of that. Um, I, I, I guess I was able to just see how, like the impermanence of everything. Yes. Um, yes. and be able to observe everything within myself and also without myself in like just kind of a very uh, indifferent way. Um, and I think there are just moments where I just get really into like writing something very philosophical that that state kind of washes over me again. And, and I talk about in that chapter that, that one thing that brings me back to that place is, is like putting myself in these kind of crazy situations that make me think about my own death. Um, and so, yeah, sometimes it just comes out and it's, mm-hmm. and you know, one of the great things about being a blogger is you don't have like an editor 
screaming at you, telling you you're crazy and you have to delete all this stuff. And so I just say, well, fuck it. I mean, I put it up. <laughs> but I, but it's funny because that did stick in my head. And I remember, you know, I must have read that a, a while ago. And and yet, you know, that's – I can't remember the rest of the post. But that yeah. – Yeah, right. <laughs> that really sticks in my head. Um, you know, do you – are you like me as well where you like – because uh, I, I I do try to practice mindfulness meditation and things and 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 read on Zen stuff, but it it kind of makes me snap back and forth um, between two modes of thought. One where I'm like I am human and I'm experiencing the world, and the other where I'm the observer and I'm standing outside of my body. Mm-hmm. And it's like I can they're they're radically different things like when you're in like you know in a club or whatever and you're like doing normal human things like you don't want to always be existential about it because at some point you won't be happy if 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 you never actually exist yeah (laughs) be you know like 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 say stupid things to someone or do something stupid like sometimes you want to do that right yeah but then you'll snap back into you know observer of yourself mode, and then it just changes the whole frame of reference of everything. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a weird thing. I mean, I never, I was always wary. I never like got fully aboard the the Buddhist meditation train um, and went like hardcore about it. And I think, I think what you just said is, is kind of the thing that prevented me is cause, uh, and who knows? Like, I mean, if you talk to a Zen master, they would probably say like, Oh yeah, that's your ego, like resisting its own death. And, uh, that's their, that's their answer for everything. Yeah. yeah exactly. you're, 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 like, you're like, excuse me, excuse me. Can you give me directions to Wawa? And they'll be like, that's your ego preventing the existence of your, do you like, uh, Oh, Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. But yeah, I, I just I I I always had this kind of the same as you. Like I had this overwhelming sense of like, well, yeah, but like I I need to like live my life, you know. Um, yeah, sometimes you just gotta like do like normal human things. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and and be in it, be in it versus be above it. Yeah, mm. yeah, and and I mean, what I wish, I, but the, on the flip side. I've tried to maintain like a casual meditation practice hmm. uh, for years and I'm horrible at it. And it's, it's I, hard. Think mo- I think most people are horrible at yeah. it. Like I, I, I go months without doing it and I'm always telling myself I should do it. Yeah. And um, it's really something about it. It's really, really hard to do. Um, but I, I know how, like I know how beneficial, not just in terms of like health and energy and things like that, it is incredibly beneficial, but also like ha- having that perspective occasionally, it's, it's really nice to go back to that place. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, maybe it's kind of, I was talking earlier about being in an astronomy class, and like trying to conceptualize how big the universe actually is and how that kind of put me in a state. It, like it was very similar where you have that, you just zoom out so far that, um, it's called the overview effect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's what one in person. Psychology. Yeah. In psychology. Uh, yeah. My colleague, David Yaden is, uh, is, is studying that and has this virtual reality um, system that he puts on people and where you see your, they see it from that vantage point of an astronaut in space. You just see that little 
pale dot or you see the universe uh, of Earth and you're, and it changes your perspective after being in that virtual reality environment. It yeah. didn't didn't the um there was some astronaut who said something like that. Oh who yeah. Said, who said or maybe there are multiple of them, but I, I don't remember what, but I think there are multiple astronauts who are like, yeah, like going like absolutely seeing the earth from far away, it it changed changed my beliefs, changed my perspective on everything. Yeah, that's where this came from. That's where this came from. This Because uh, they wanted to study it in the laboratory and be like, well, because it's hard to be an astronaut. So <laughs> <laughs> It is kind of hard. Yeah. <laughs> so like, they thought it'd be easier to put a virtual reality thing on your head. But it seems like anyone could benefit from that change in perspective. Can, can I ask, are there people who have uh, like adverse reactions to that? Like, are there people that like get freaked out and scared? Or It's a great question. I'll have to ask my colleagues. I'll like follow up with you an email about that, but um, uh, I'm not sure. I I, uh, yeah. I know that I personally, when I uh, you know, because he my friend David, you know, he brought me in the in his in his office. He's like, try this, and and to me, it was it was pretty uh, awe inspiring. Yeah. So yeah, me too. Um, I don't know, maybe. Uh, I don't know. I I I had like cheeky questions afterwards for him, like like you know, along the lines of like. Like, I mean, like you could imagine someone being like really narcissistic or something and not get, getting from it like, oh, wow, look how insignificant I am. But like, wow, look at all those suckers like an earth and I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm out here floating in space, motherfuckers. Yeah, you know, it's you like, know. wow, look at all yeah, those people yeah, that I'm yeah, better yeah. than. Yeah, 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 exactly. But so, um, so I, I want to end this interview because it's been a really long interview. Um, and um, I, 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 it, look, I want to say to my listeners who are still with us, like, thank you so much for getting going through this journey that we just had. And I hope you are okay with the F-bombs and we'll listen to future episodes of the Psychology Podcast. <laughs> um, but I want to end with one thing. So you, in the sunny side of death, I think a big sunny side of it is is something you say, this is the basic root of all happiness. And what is this? That's a great question. Let me pull out my book. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's uh it's so funny because like this keeps happening so i i wrote this book i spent two years with this book wrote it edited it multiple times it, it actually got to the point by like the fifth pass through I, I was like completely sick of it and this was back maybe like six months ago and so once it was done done like i haven't read it in like six months and so i keep getting questions they're like you know so mark in chapter three you tell us what the most important thing about this is what is that and i'm like I don't know. <laughs> I know. I know oh, what you yeah. mean. I know. I know what you mean, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where the hell? Well, well let me read it for you. Yeah, please. Uh, the, uh, the, only, the only way to be comfortable with death is to understand and see yourself as something bigger than yourself, to choose values that stretch beyond serving yourself, that are simple and immediate, controllable, and tolerant of the chaotic world around you. So it seems to me you go, you return back to the values at the end of the day as being the basic root of all happiness. Yeah, I mean, well, I another way to think about it is I think values are like the fundamental unit of human psychology in a way. Like it's it's because yeah. um, our ability to think about anything or feel about anything, I think, comes back to how relatively important or unimportant we consider it to be. Yeah. Um, and so in, in a sense, I see them as like literally the building block of not only our identity, but also our human experience. And, um, 
and so I, I think, and that's never going to change. And so I think the questions that, that I raise in this book of developing that ability to, to question what you're giving a fuck about, what are you finding important? What do you care about? Um, that is literally, I think I even, I, I talk, like jokingly say in chapter one, but I'm all, I'm only kind of joking as I say it, it is literally the most important question of your life. And, um, and yeah, I think it comes back to that. So and making sure that you choose the 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 best values. Yeah, or healthy ones. Healthy ones, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and it's I I really I try to be delicate in the book about not choosing values for people because I I really don't I don't like that and I don't think I But you do give examples of shit of what you call shitty values, so. Yeah, and and they they tend to be and they tend to be like pretty obvious obviously shitty yeah yeah Yeah, you know it's like chasing money yeah yeah. is a pretty shitty value to have and i think i think everybody kind of knows that and there's tons of research about that yeah um i think that i think it um it it gets so like i'm willing to kind of make statements about stuff like that but you know at the end of the day everybody everybody's different and um everybody's you know Psychology is different. Their biology is different. Their experiences are different. Uh, their culture is different. So um, I try not to, to specifically boil down like, here are the six most important values in your life. And here's my 12-step method to make you a happy person. Um, it's it's really just, I want to be the person who uh, gets people to ask these questions for themselves. Because I think most people don't, or or at least they don't do it very often. and. Um, or they don't do it in a very conscious way. Uh, so that's really just the goal of the book is to, is to get people to look at their values, look at what they care about and decide if it's helping them or hurting them. And everything else I present is really just, it's, um, it's, I guess, just principles to follow uh, in terms of doing that. You know, it's like, these tend to be what these these value these types of values tend to create more happiness. These types of values tend to create more misery. Um, evaluate your own life and choose at your own discretion. I really like that approach, Mark. Thanks so much for chatting with me today, and good luck with the book. Thanks, Scott. Um, it's been great being here. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to the Psychology Podcast with Dr. Scott Barry Kaufman. I hope you found this episode just as thought provoking and interesting as I did. If you'd like to read the show notes for this episode or hear past episodes, you can visit thepsychologypodcast.com. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. 
Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to a Cross Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.